The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Diego ready to go with the first pitch on its way. Swing and a line drive left side of the infield. Fielded by Wendell. He made the catch. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. And they're on their way to the American League Championship Series as they knock off the New York Yankees 2-1. to one. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Just a swing and a drive, hit well in the air towards right. Mookie Betts going back to the wall. Gone! A first-inning homer for Randy Arozarena, number 10 of the postseason. It's one nothing raise. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our first show of 2021 and our unique and in-depth look at all things Rays. Today, we sit down with last year's MVP, Brandon Lau. Brian Anderson of Valley Sports Sun will join me to take a closer look at this challenging season. We'll be joined by Executive Vice President and General Manager Eric Neander and discuss the alternate side with field coordinator Michael Johns. Hi, this is Kevin Cash, and you're listening to Rays Baseball on 95.3 WDAE and AM620. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball, and we kick off our first weekend of game action with the MVP of the reigning American League champs, and that's Brandon Lau. And Brandon, how does that sound when you reflect on last year to think about being the MVP of a team that went to the World Series? Um, yeah, it definitely feels very good to be voted that from from the public eye and from our, our writers and stuff like that. But, you know, we had so many good guys on the team that could have taken home that award as well. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely an honor to have that. Obviously, you're the kind of guy who stays in the present and, and likes to focus on the now. But when you did have a chance to reflect on last year, what are the good things that you're going to remember most from all of that experience? I tell you, it's, it's definitely hard to focus on anything other than the postseason. I feel like everything else feels like it was so so long ago and so unimportant, really. I mean, thinking of, you know, we went to the World Series and all that kind of stuff. And um, honestly, I think the biggest thing that's going to stick out to me, one is going to be just you know, kind of achieving that lifelong dream. You know, I played in the World Series. It's something I wanted to do since I was a little kid. The second one is just being able to wit- witness the history that, you know, Randy did. Arez Reina had throughout the whole postseason watching him do what he did was unbelievable. Did you learn anything just by watching him that you think can help you this year? Because, I mean, what he did was, you know, it was, you're right. It's off the charts. It was Barry Bonds-esque. That's kind of the way that I wish I spoke better Spanish. So I could have picked his brain a little bit more. But, you know, just watching him show up to the ballpark and hit, man, it was I wish it could be something that I could do, but, you know, we everybody has their own different cues and different ticks that make them the hitter that they are, and, you know, I, I don't think I could do what he does. Well, not many can, that's for sure, and we're hoping, obviously, he, he like you, have a, a terrific 2021 season. You're in on the road right now. Um, you go to Miami. You're in Miami. Then you go to Boston, and then you come back home. Have you given any thought to what that'll be like? Because you guys have not played a home game with fans, true fans, since the game against Houston in 2019, and you get to raise a banner on that day. Can you think about what that'll be like, that first home game? I'm hoping it's going to be electric. You know, the last time that we played a home game with fans, there were 40,000 people there. I understand that it's not going to quite be the same, but, you know, I hope the people that are able to come are active and they they enjoy the ceremonies and stuff of, of the day. I think it's going to be an awesome day to see that banner go up. You know, it's kind of strange. You, you've you been a team MVP. You've been an all-star already. But this is really going to be your first 
full full year in the big leagues, you know, hopefully playing you know close to 162 games. How do you see yourself uh, based on all the experiences you've had already? I tell you, there's nothing nothing I want to do more than to have that full season in the books. You know, there's a lot of people that are you know talk online and stuff like that, talking how you haven't had a full season and trying to you know, estimate what your stats would be over a full year. And, you know, I kind of just want to be there for that whole time for the team and, you know, not have to sit out for two months or, you know, get injured and not be able to produce as well. So, you know, that was a big focus on the off season was to get strong and be healthy and understand how to stay healthy. So hopefully uh, I don't expect myself to play 162, but, you know, as close as I can get. So walk us through what a day was like for some of those days, because I know what a tremendous worker you are and how driven you are. So what were those off-season days like? What are the types of things that you did that maybe were beyond what you did before? Yeah, so, you know, waking up probably around 7.30ish, and I have the issue that, you know, my wife hates me for it, but I find it very difficult to gain weight and hold weight, so I have to eat just an an absolute insane amount of food to try to keep my calorie count up and hold the weight that I've been putting on. So, I mean, I'll wake up and eat, you know, five eggs with four pieces of bacon every morning, get to get to our facility around nine-ish, nine o'clock, get in, work out. Then depending on what, how late we are into the season, if it's, or into the off season, if it's December or later, you know, after I work out, I'll hit and, it's all, all depending on weather, whether we're outside and able to hit on a field or we're inside hitting in the cage. So, I mean, that's usually kind of what it is. And, you know, a lot of it is focused around all the workouts are focused on, you know, strength, building up, and then also keeping flexibility and being able to move as well. From that standpoint, you know, I, you, you also told us, I think, once you got to camp about some of the things you did to challenge yourself from a baseball standpoint. What did you do and how do you think it'll help you this year? We really cranked the machine this year. You know, our, our agency put a little money in and bought a pretty nice pitching machine that, you know, can throw pretty much any kind of pitch that you would, you could think about throwing. You know, um, you want to throw, pretty sure you could throw a knuckleball if you wanted it to. I mean, it was incredible. We got in there and uh, you could kind of shape the pitches pretty pretty similar similar to other pitchers in the league. So, you know, you could take Bieber's curveball or, you know, try to mimic Garrett Cole's fastball or stuff like that. And, you know, really just trying to take all the top guys and mimic that off-speed stuff or mimic the fastball and really challenge yourself the entire offseason where you're seeing these these plus pitches and you're seeing these, you know, you're not going up there and you're not seeing a guy from 45 feet throwing a ball 40 miles an hour you know you're getting in there and you're really challenging yourself every day you're leaving some days and your hands hurt you may have lost a bat or two like really getting in there and challenging yourself and I've seen kind of the rewards from it this spring training is I'm not I see a lot more pitches that I don't think I would have saw last year you know recognizing them early which has been a, a, a big plus what, Brandon, and we're chatting with Brandon Lau on this week in race baseball, what motivated you uh, this offseason more than anything? Because I, I think at one point, and it's going to sound silly, you mentioned like number 53 and being, and, and I didn't realize you were talking about being ranked like 53rd in Major League Baseball. I thought you were making a joke about Josh Lowe and the whole Lowe Lau thing because he was wearing 
number 53 during the season, but was that your motivation? No, the, the motivation's kind of always been the same since I was a little kid. You know, I've always, I feel like I've always been in the same position. You know, I've always wanted to compete against the best. I've always wanted to play with the best and be the best. And, you know, whether or not I'm actually going to physically get there or not, that's always a driving factor. I've always wanted to play the best that I can possibly play, whether that's, you know, if I have to spend more time in a cage, more time in a weight room, less time playing video games, like, I would make that sacrifice for it. Kind of the, the postseason that I had, you know, really made me never want to be in that kind of feeling ever again. So those two things really drive me to kind of be the best that I can be. Obviously, this game is so mental, Brandon, and I'm curious what you do at the field to help you relax, and then what helps you relax most away from the field? At the, at the field, um, I think last year, you know, with, with, with all the COVID and stuff like that, you know, all of our, all the hangout areas were kind of shut down. You could really only sit in your locker. So last year, me and Hunter Renfro downloaded this Call of Duty app on our iPads and we would play it uh, after BP. And that was kind of a nice way to decompress before the game and stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun. But at, at home, it, it's pretty easy to kind of let the day go. I come home to Madison and our dog and everything at the at the field. If it was a bad day, if it was a good day, it just kind of leaves my mind. Um, I'm just kind of focused on what's at hand then. How's her home bakery coming along, the Sweet and Loud Bakery? I see a lot of posts on Instagram. Yeah, it's it's going really well. I think uh, I think it's going a lot better than either of us expected it to. So quickly, you know, I've always known she was a really good baker. All of the stuff that she's ever made, you know, family, friends, everybody loves them. For her to go out and create this business during during a pandemic and it blossom and succeed as well as it had, it's it's very impressive. So, do you have a favorite of what she makes? And if so, what is it? I absolutely have a favorite, and it's her Oreo cake. And it's not to say that the other stuff is bad. It's just that's how good this cake is. And um, anytime that I have a say in what she makes, that's my number one go-to. And it's only. Hopefully she's feeling up to the task to make that cake. But, you know, after that, she makes her her cookies are unbelievable. So is that going to be waiting for you when you come back off the first road trip, the the Oreo cake, or or is that the expectation? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe if I do well enough on the road trip, I'll have a, a cake waiting for me. All right, let's hope that's the case. And I think, you know, our, our the fan base for the race appreciates you and Madison um, not only for, you know, what you've done on the field, but what you guys are doing off the field too, and your commitment to helping those in the mental health community. You guys are still doing Hormones for Hope, right? Yes, we're, we're still doing that this year, and uh, we're, we're really looking forward to hopefully uh, having a, a very good year at the plate. So, you know, hopefully we can get a nice sizable check over to the to that foundation, and, you know, hopefully everything goes well. And Actually, Madison is starting to do something with her business as well with a full year under her belt that she's going to try to give back to the community as well through her bakery. And I would guess it means that much more because we've been battling through a pandemic, the, the battle against mental health for you and, and, and Madison, Brandon? Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially just, you know, with how this kind of came about, you know, a lot of people had to stay home. A lot of people's lives changed, a lot of them for the worse. And, um, you know, a lot of people kind of hold it all in. And, you know, one of the big things that 
I think is a very big talking point is that there's always people there willing to listen and there's always people willing to help. You just need to speak up, speak your mind and let people know that you're struggling. And you'd be surprised at how many people are there willing to pull you up and help you out. And that being the crisis center at Tampa Bay. Brandon, in the in the um, clubhouse, you guys have Justin Sue to help on the the men, you know, on the the mental aspect of the game. How much do you take advantage of of his resources and what he provides during during spring training and during the beginning of the year and that kind of stuff? Uh, absolutely, you know, I love. He kind of has these. Uh, I think he calls them mental minutes, where he kind of sits us all down for about sixty seconds, and just kind of hammers his point and lets us get going, and uh, it really sticks with us that way. And resonates with a lot of the team and then you know he's always there to talk to you whether it's you know talking about the game that happened last night or if you're really struggling through something you need someone to talk to I mean he's been unbelievable and uh, just a great addition to to the staff that we have with the Rays and pretty sure he's getting talked to about just about every day with uh, someone. Well I think we're all hoping that things come back to normal sooner than later and that we can really all enjoy a summer of race baseball. I know that this week Major League Baseball said to the teams, hey, if you guys get to 85% of your travel party vaccinated, um, you know, you can relax the rules a little bit. How, how much would that mean to the group? I think it would be incredible, uh, especially just for the guys that haven't been able to experience it. You know, I really felt bad for Yoshi and a couple of our the rookies that called up got called up last year because you know they got called up into the big leagues and they're expecting the big leagues and you know it, it wasn't quite as glamorous as it should have been for them and you know it would be really cool for them to get to really enjoy everything that they have everything that you know the teams have to offer and stuff like that you know the real clubhouse the real food you know being able to go out and experience the different cities and stuff like that you know would be really cool and um Obviously, just like the relaxation of uh, all the rules and stuff like that would be phenomenal. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's something that can be done. Well, let's hope we get there sooner than later. Uh, Good luck the rest of the first road trip of the season, Brandon. And uh, we'll see you back at home. Absolutely. Thank you. As Brandon Lau will continue on this week in Rays Baseball right after this on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on this week in Rays Baseball, and joining us now from Valley Sports Sun is Brian Anderson, NBA, uh, where the Rays are back, and they look the same as they did last year in the, the odd season, at least this first couple games. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. They're throwing the ball well. You know, the, the, the bullpen faltered a little bit in game two, but the offense picked them up. So right now, you're seeing all the complementary pieces, you know, working in sync. And, and that's kind of what we expected out of this team. Uh, you have to win the games that you're supposed to win. And so far, they've uh, they've come out and done that. And, uh, you know, it seems to be the way that they approach spring training and now going into the regular season, even though it's just two games, you can see the focus of this team. I think it's going to be fine. I would agree. And and I think the last few years, especially, B.A., and I think yesterday's win was a perfect example. There's just a belief system with the culture that at some point somebody's going to find a way. It, you're right. It's incredible. And even with, you know, new faces from year to year kind of, uh, you know, coming into, into the fold. And, you know, this year the Rays are very fortunate. And for the most part, as far as the position players go anyway, they are returning the entire group. And so... Um, 
that certainly is uh, encouraging. But you're right. There, there is a culture that is in place now, and it's in, it's been in place uh, for quite a number of years. But they always believe that they are going to have a chance to come out and be victors in that particular game, even when it may not look good early on. It may not look good late, uh, but there is that belief there, and I think that that positive energy it, it, it feeds. You know, it, it feeds the these the opportunities come, and the guys are all collectively like, "Yep, this is where we're going to take advantage." And a lot of times they do, and they're shocked when they don't. That is what you want uh, out of a team. And, you know, the fans should be, uh, they should be pumped up. Yeah, how impressed were you about what happened on opening night? More so the way Tyler Glass now pitched with a new pitch. You know what? Forget about his line because his line was, you know, in and of itself was incredible. I mean, six shutout innings. He gave up just the infield single in the first inning and only one base runner. All of that was great. I mean, he was not afraid to go to that slider at all. Use that slider to get ahead. He put a few guys away with it. He then would go to the curveball. I thought that it was uh, it was outstanding because a lot of times when a guy's introduced a third pitch and uh, he introduced that pitch early and often and wrote it to to the great numbers. That, that was, uh, that was a, an unbelievable outing by him does it make you more encouraged about him for the rest of the year is it too much to look at one start and what he did no I don't think so at all, because like I said, the, the fact that, you know, if he would have gone out there primarily fastball, curveball, and thrown a handful of sliders, you're like, okay, he's baby steps, baby steps, and he's going to find a way to try to incorporate that into his game plan. That wasn't the case. He went out there almost a reconfigured pitcher. It was fastball, slider, and then the curveball. And so, I, you know, I think that from start to start, depending on the matchup, the team he's facing, uh, the types of hitters, the, the pitch mix is going to, to change. But I think that that right there, just if he wasn't confident in that pitch already, he certainly is now. And I think Tyler Glass now with the third pitch, the sky is the limit. I can remember uh, pitching with CC Sabathia uh, back with the Cleveland Indians. And Sabathia had the good fastball and a good slider. And, and, he was, and he was fine. But all of a sudden, he introduced a changeup. And that is when he went from really good pitcher to elite Cy Young type pitcher. That third pitch for a starter is imperative over the course of his career. And now that Tyler Glasnow has been able to do that and do that effectively and build confidence in that pitch, I think the sky's the limit for that kid. The big change on the pitching staff is the veterans they added. Rich Hill, Michael Waka, um, Colin McHugh, all of them have playoff experience. Um, and are good veteran guys. How much do you think that will help the overall clubhouse? I think that that really, uh, you know, I, I've talked about this before. We talked about earlier today, uh, the culture. The culture for the Rays is in place. Guys like that, they come in and they enhance that culture. They enhance that culture. It's another group of veterans, uh, pitchers, you know, um, that have a different perspective. Um, they're a good sounding board for the young guys. And the thing that you love about them is all – four of those guys, if you count Colin McHugh and then Michael Walker, Rich Hill, Chris Archer coming back, all of these veterans have bought in. We've always said that the Rays pitching plans, there has to be buy-in. If there is not, it will not work. Well, you bring in veterans now who you think, wow, they've been around the game a while. They're kind of set in their ways. They want to do things a certain way. And not these guys. They're, they have all come in and said, we'll do whatever it takes to win. If we need to pitch behind an opener, we'll do that. You need me to start, we'll do that. You need me to close a game, I'll do that. And that right there, I think, just enhances that culture um, and just brings a, a different spice, a different flavor to the pitching staff. 
staff. Um, and you mentioned the experience, you know, Michael Waka, his ninth season in the big leagues, he's pitched in three different postseasons. It's um, it's a, it's a really neat group that they've brought in and you know, it wasn't by chance. It was very well thought out. And uh, you know, Eric Neander and his crew knocked it out of the park again. Speaking of well thought out, we're going to see a tandem start today in Rich Hill and Chris Archer. What's your take on it? Uh, <laughs> listen, we knew going into the season, you know, with, with Blake Snell being traded away and Charlie Morton going to Atlanta, that the Rays were going to get creative uh, w- with the pitching staff. We knew that going in. And tonight's going to be the first night we're going to get to uh, kind of peek behind the scenes and, and see how they're going to do it. A tandem, this is double A stuff. This is double A stuff that, that, that you do to try to keep, you know, get, not overload a guy with innings. And, and, uh, but the Rays, they're not afraid. We have seen that. They are not afraid to be creative, to be progressive with how they use their pitching staff. And like I said, with the buy-in, you can do something like that tonight. And I cannot wait to see it. Does Rich Hill go three or four? Does he go, you know, I mean, who knows? Who knows how they're going to do it? But Rich Hill to Chris Archer um, and then to the back end of the bullpen, uh, for a series sweep, that's going to be fun. It's a sharp contrast. And I think you, I mean, to go from Hill to Archer as a hitter, it's got to be tough, right? Well, yeah, think about it. You know, last night, the lineup for the Marlins, and you know, really Garrett Cooper, and Garrett Cooper got an at-bat in game one. He was the only new addition outside of the pitcher to the Marlins lineup. And that lineup had to go from facing Tyler Glasnow to Ryan Yarbrough. Think about the change in, in you know, the, the way that uh, guys pitch, the power right-hander at 100 miles an hour or the lefty that's cutter-heavy in the low to mid-80s. And then all of a sudden tonight, in real time, that lineup is going to have to go from lefty, elevated fastball, spin the curveball from three or four different arm angles to now a power righty slider changeup, move the ball around the zone in Chris Archer. It's, it's not going to be easy on them at all. I promise you that, and that's part of what the, uh, uh, you know, the, the Rays plan is. And to use a lot of pitchers, and look, they're going to have to, especially with the injury to Nick Anderson they had, they're going to have to adjust in the bullpen too. You know, they are, and, and you saw that last night. Um, boy, there were a couple of moves made uh, by Kevin Cash that were risky. Number one, you know, pulling Ryan Yarbrough out after you know, five and two-thirds, he gives up the double to Starling Marte. Uh, but at that point, the, the, the Miami Marlins had not touched him. They, I mean, weak contact all night. He was only in the mid-60s with his pitch count. But you choose to go to the bullpen there. Okay, fine, it worked out. That's great. One-run game. Now, all of a sudden, it's a two-run game. And the other risky move, and this is going to be something to watch all season long, you know, uh, two outs in the seventh inning, strikeout, strikeout, and then we get a, you know, uh, a, a triple and a walk. So you got first and third, two outs, and you bring in Ryan Sheriff. Now, with the new rule that the, a reliever coming in has to face at least three guys unless he ends the inning, that's where the risk goes in because you bring Ryan Sheriff in to face Corey Dickerson. He gets him out, that's great, and you can make a pitching change to start the bottom of the eighth. But he didn't. He got ahead of him. Corey Dickerson able to double a ball down the left field line. Well, guess what? Now in a normal year where you would probably go out and get Ryan Sheriff because Ryan Sheriff on Miguel Rojas is not a matchup that you would like to see, you can't go get him. He gave up the hit. That was the risk. Now he has to face Miguel Rojas. Base hit. Now the Marlins take the lead. You still can't go get him. He's got to face Starling Marte. So that's where making those decisions to bring in a, a specialist or a lefty to get a lefty, you, you know, to end an inning, that's where the risk is involved. And that's going to be something to keep your eye on all season long because it almost bit the Rays last night. Thankfully, the offense bailed them out. 
Good stuff from Brian Anderson of Bally Sports Sun. We continue on this week in Rays Baseball and joining us right now, Executive Vice President and GM of the Rays, Eric Neander. And Eric, as we embark on this 2021 season, what excites you the most, especially coming off what you did last year? Oh, man, just uh, to to get out there to play again, uh, to, to plan, you know, being able to plan for 162 games, you know, working our way back towards something that resembles normal in the sense of what we what we used to know and and coming off of a season that we did last year and the last few years they've they've continued to build off one another and the opportunity for these guys to go out this year and to hopefully build off of what we uh, were able to accomplish last year you probably had a lot of difficult decisions to make in the final days leading up to the final roster what were the toughest decisions and how did the injuries to Jimon Choi Brett Phillips and Nick Anderson impact those decisions. Well, they opened up a few roster spots, um, <laughs> to say to say the least. Unfortunately, but um, that's that, that stuff happens. You have to you have to prepare for it. And you know this this team and throughout this winter and the decisions we made and you know we 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 looked for as much talent as we could we could find and uh, that that fit within our our means and uh, with that looked to establish as much depth as possible and it's you know it's for things like that 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 happened over the course of the season so we had a relatively healthy camp up until the end and um, didn't get the best of news with Nick, but could have been worse. And, and he'll be back to contribute later. But you know, more more than anything, just just trying to we intend for this club to be really competitive, to be successful, and um, just want to make sure that we put as many options into the mix here that have a chance to help us uh, go out and have a great year. With the injury to Nick, how much does it help that you guys had so many different guys get saves last year and threw so many different guys in high leverage situations? Does that make it any easier? Relatively speaking, I think the, the the depth we have in the pen, the some of the experiences that that these arms have had, it certainly helps. It helps soften the blow just because of what a variety of um, arms have underneath them. Um, it's not you, you never want to lose someone like Nick. We're, we're not where we were last year, the year before without him. So it's it, it in and of itself is a big blow. But um, yeah, look, we've we've played in as many tight games as anybody. Our bullpen um, has been as big a part as, as any particular unit of our team when it comes to coming out on top in all of those tight games. So um, those experiences certainly, certainly should uh, do them well this year. And I think uh, we should be plenty prepared for playing in a bunch of tight games in 2021 as well. You ended up carrying three left-handers uh, in your bullpen with Cody Reed, Ryan Sheriff, and Jeffrey Springs at the start of the year. Did the Anderson injury imp- lead to the three, or were you strongly considering having that many lefties in the bullpen to begin the year? Yeah, I mean, Nick, it, it certainly opened up a, a spot, and um, I, I think with that, it was it was a contributing factor. I, I also think that you know we're we're this season kicked off with the three games here in Miami, and then the off day, and then three more games in Boston, then another off day before we go 30 games in 31 days. So I think the schedule, not with those specific guys, but just the way we structured our pitching staff, going with 14 arms, going with shorter options, um, you know, those things all played a part. But Cody, Ryan Sheriff, and, and Jeffrey Springs, they're three lefties that are all a little bit different from one another, but all you know, arms that we have confidence in and felt it made the most sense to to go that way to give Cash as many options out of the pen as possible. You're carrying 22 pitchers on the 40 to begin the year. Um, obviously, that appears to be a great strength. What is your greatest concern? Just, I think, trying to, to make sure we go about this season in a way where we 
are doing everything we can to be as competitive as possible while all being mindful of any workload related concerns, physical related concerns associated with going back up to 162 games after all the disruption uncertainty that, that we played through last year. So just trying to, to strike the right balance with that, making sure we don't leave any meat in the bone. We're not too careful, you know, with, with players as we go along, but, but also making sure we take care of them at the same time. There's obviously a lot of talent all the way through the organization. I think that's clearly apparent from what we saw in spring training. But one of the interesting things is with the injuries to Choi and Phillips, every player that you still have on the 40 men that's a position player has never played in the big leagues. And three of them haven't even played in AAA games yet. How important is it to try and stay healthy so you don't force some of those young kids to have to play maybe a little earlier than you'd like? Yeah, I mean, we, we're going to do everything we can to stay as healthy as as possible within our group, but um, there's only so much you can do to to control and, and, and to manage that. And I think as important as it is to maintain health of a major league team, that's the case whether or not there's minor league games going on uh, or there isn't. But, you know, the, the alternate site, Brady Williams leading that this year um, and everything that goes on there, it's it's just critical for, for them to be as creative as possible to find ways to build intensity in those settings where it's hard to come by because you don't have those games going on and um, doing everything you can there to make sure you guys are ready. Uh, last year, um, everybody at the alternate site did a wonderful job of, of maintaining intensity and uh, making the most of that situation. We had a lot of players that stepped up without having played games and contributed meaningfully to our to our club. And those young talents are, are going to have to be ready to do the same thing this year. The players that you have at the alternate site right now, I know last year you said, hey, the guys that we want, we want them all to be able to help us now. You had only a two-month season. So are there guys who may not be at the alternate site that you think are going to help you later but may not be able to help you now? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think, you know, we, 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 we tended to structure the alternate site group and with the players that certainly are 40-man players for the almost all of them. Uh, Drew Strotman is, is starting in minor league camp, um, just as a, you know, a little more patient with his buildup. Uh, but yeah, you try to structure that alternate site group as those that you're most likely to call on based on the information we have through this spring about where players are at and their readiness to contribute to the major league level. But I think if history is any guide, um, that, that knowledge only takes you so far. And as this season progresses, uh, I, certainly think it's more likely than not that players you know, through our minor league camp will ascend um, will have unexpected performances in a positive direction that happens every year and you know, hopeful that, that they're players that are not at our alternate site that force our hand and and really give us something to think about in terms of their ability to help our major league club as the year goes on but who, who they are right now well, <laughs> time will tell I, I asked kyle snyder this at one point in camp how many guys do you need that are able to throw 100 innings this year or more if, if we're off the mark with the pitching that we're carrying from a workload standpoint, it was really important to us to make sure we missed the mark by carrying too many innings rather than, than too few. So, and, and I, I don't know, and we don't know exactly what those numbers are going to be, but felt it was really important to make sure that we assembled a group that you know, if it's you know, seven, eight different arms, that are all going to carry 100 plus in the course of the season that's the way it goes then and we'll be ready for that if it means that we're carrying 10 plus that are going between 60 to 80 innings that that we're prepared we're equipped for that so 
Yeah, again, just embracing all the uncertainty that this season's likely to bring us after all we experienced the last 12 months and, and just making sure that we're as flexible and adaptable as possible to all the feedback the players are going to tell us about their health, about how they rebound, about their performance. All of it's going to come into play and be a factor for us and just trying to do everything we can to be as, as covered as we can be for all that's ahead of us, all that we, we can't foresee happening. And normally, Eric, you guys are most equipped with depth to handle a 162-game season, but with no minor league season last year, where is the area may, where you may have some concern just because so many guys didn't get reps last year, true game reps? You know, on one hand, we're, we're in the same boat as every other club. You know, very, very few pitchers had the opportunity, very few pitchers, very few players had the, the opportunity to uh, collect game reps last year. And I just spilled the beans perhaps on, on the concern, but the pitchers, you know, the, just from a workload standpoint and what a season like that, you know, could do to the development of a, of a young pitcher, what it could do to um, the maintenance and the routines of a more veteran pitcher. Um, that That's where a lot of our, our concern lies. But we also need to make sure we're in tune with our position players and our group in total because just because we think the concerns are going to come out of the arms and, and managing all that, we want to make sure we're not overlooking anything in any other area as well. Well, hopefully this is a, a year where you guys take even another step forward. Uh, and if you get back to the postseason, this franchise still hasn't done that three years in a row. So if you can get there, that would be quite the accomplishment. That that would be quite an accomplishment, and um, we just gotta take it game by game here, and and make sure we can control what's what's right here in front of us. But feel good about where we are, the talent we have, and the motivation that that this group has to go out and make that happen. And that's Rays GM Eric Neander coming up. Field coordinator Michael Johns. You're listening to this week in Rays baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Time now to go to Port Charlotte with Michael Johns to discuss the alternate site. Michael, I hear that you're actually going to play some games against other teams at this site. Tell me what that means. Yeah, it means a lot. Um, I remember last year the guys were, kept saying, I wish we could play another team because I don't know if there's another team that would beat us. And I'm like, well, they probably have pretty good players too. But now it's now it's going to be real. You get to play the Blue Jays' best, you know, best minor league players and hopefully play the the Marlins' best minor league players because they're going to be in Jacksonville and still working out some of the kinks with that. But it'll be more like a you know like a three game series there, a three game series at home, and uh, be a lot a lot closer to some of they're super excited at the possibility of being able to do that. Michael, tell me what you guys are doing in terms of or what you did when guys got optioned. You know, I'm curious how you handled that because you got to prepare guys still for the possibility that an injury occurs and they get called up, and they've got to be ready to play either nine innings if they're a position player or be able to provide some length if they're a pitcher. Yeah, so some of the challenges last year were, you know, really twofold. You had the pitching side that obviously needed to be ready to pitch in the big leagues that night or the night, you know, the next night. So we would line the pitching up, you know, Rick, uh, Dewey, and Kyle, you know, did a great job of lining up really a long guy for every night, you know, like Fleming – and, you know, even Curtis, to, to that matter, and some guys that could give you some length, Gil Martin, guys that could give them length that they needed it if someone went down or if there was just a blowout game. And then they'd also have the one or two inning guys lined up every day. So that created its own challenges because a lot of times, you know, the night before those guys have to go to the big league, something happened and great for them, but it would change our whole dynamic for the next day. And then on the position player side, I think, you know, we were, we were kind of caught in between, you know, a lot of uh, development 
and then, you know, making sure they're ready to play in the big leagues and making sure that they feel really good about themselves if they play up there. So it was uh, it was something we talked about as a staff almost nightly about, you know, how much do we start trying to maybe change a swing, maybe if it's just very minute, when this guy may make his debut the next night. Um, those are some of the unique challenges that we had last year. And this year, I think they'll probably be a little bit of the same, but I think they'll probably probably will be a lot more development in the ATS this year. Uh, they're going to go to Durham, most of those guys. Some of them will go to Montgomery, but they have a season. So that's kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and last year, we didn't have that. It was more of, you know, you're really preparing to play in the big leagues this year. So uh, it's two different things, two different uh, years. And, and I'm just glad that you know, right now, it looks like there will be light at the end of the tunnel. And these guys will be able to play some baseball under the lights, even if it's not in the big leagues. Not only that, but you're going to have a minor league season. So you're, you're having to run, what, two camps at once, pretty much? Yeah, so what we've done is um, I'm going to run the minor league camp, and then Brady and his staff will run the ATS. So we're going to be completely separate. They're going to be on the visitor side at Port Charlotte, and we'll stay on the home side. Um, when I say visitor, I mean, they're going to be in the other clubhouse where the other team would, would come in and play like a stone crab or in spring training, the big league team. So it'll be separate. You know, we they're going to have night workouts. We're going to have morning workouts. We're going to do our best. Well, not our best. We're going to completely isolate ourselves from them. And that's from Major League Baseball. We can't have any anybody going up and down. We can't have any staff member go over there and try to, you know, work with a player. It's completely separate as if they're in another city. It will be interesting. Um, it'll be unique. I'm just really glad that we're able to get the ATS in Port Charlotte because for a while there, we were looking at a lot of different sites of what might line up because we didn't know if MLB was going to let us be in Port Charlotte because of our spring training being there. But thank goodness at the end of the day, we could. So it's a really good situation for everybody. Michael, are there some guys who are at the alternate site who obviously have not made their big league debut, who you were really, maybe not surprised, but really pleased with their development and growth since the end of last year? And, and who may some of those guys be that you think have really made a jump? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, obviously the, the one that everybody knows about is Wander Franco, who is an A-ball player and obviously the number one prospect in baseball. Um, I, I think, you know, we... Wander's, I think, probably thought of as an offensive shortstop, but the, the strides he made defensively as a shortstop at the ATS last year and then carried it through big league camp, I mean, he is a tremendous, tremendous shortstop. And I don't know if he gets enough credit for it. We all know he's going to hit. We all know he's got power. He's, gonna, he's not going to strike out. He can really run. But I think there probably was, I don't know if these question marks is the right word, but there was probably some uncertainty of if he was going to stay at shortstop. Well, he made a lot of strides, and, and credit to him for working his butt off last year at the ATS. And he, he's, he's, he's a really, really good shortstop. So that that's probably the one that sits out and sticks out the most. And then I would say Taylor Walls has, is really, and I think for us and internally, he's always been on our map. But I think he's put himself on the radar in probably the industry. Um, you know, he's, he's been a good hitter, more of a contact line drive hitter, but he, he's starting to, to really – uh, hone in on some power and you talk about a defensive shortstop everyone knows he's a he, he's arguably our best defender in the entire organization and probably one of the best shortstops I've ever seen he can make every play and he's just he's a tremendous shortstop and then you know Josh Lowe who's you know a first round pick obviously he's been on the, a lot of people's radar but I think that you know Josh Lowe in double a probably or even high two years ago three years ago whatever it was was probably a guy that was really pool heavy to, to, to get to his power and now he's more of a handsy hitter he can use the whole field he doesn't have to cheat to get to his power um he, he barreled a lot of balls up off some really good pitching at the ATS and you know really did a nice job with his two strike discipline and he's become a really good center fielder 
Um, you know, those three guys, if you just right, – right out of the gate, they stand out. And they're all guys that are probably on the map a little bit. And if you look, you know, maybe under the hood, it's some guys that don't get as much notoriety. You know, Brett Sullivan and Renee Pinto were late additions. Both of them catchers. Sully can play a lot of different uh, positions. But guys that just really impacted the baseball as soon as they got to, to ATS. And then one guy that, that got there really late um, was Ford Proctor. And, you know, he's a shortstop and we're, we're converting him to be a catcher. And maybe it's not full time, but maybe he can play short and catch and just be a, like a manager's dream. But he came in and just really, you know, he played in some indie ball before he got there, which is a whole unique dichotomy because we've never had players playing indie ball that are affiliated with us. So he went to indie ball, he tore it up, came to the ATS. I, I'm telling you, I think he had six home runs in one week off our best pitching. I mean, it was like the guy was just locked in and he's a really, really, really good player. So you know, you could name a bunch of them, but that's, you know, from the position player side, that's that's probably the guys that stand out um, the most. And then, you know, last year we had, obviously, Shane McClanahan on the pitching side, who everybody saw in the World Series what he can do. Um, and he just, just keeps getting better. Just, he had a really good camp, um, and he'll be going to the ATS and, and probably pitching in the big leagues somewhat soon. You know, Fleming's probably going to start. Uh, in the minor leagues, he'll be up there really soon. But I'll, I'll tell you, Fleming's a guy that, you know, he's one of those guys you just don't bet against. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. It could be ping pong. It could be bowling. It could be golf. Like, he's just going to figure out a way to beat you. And that's what you saw on the mound last year. What a great job he did. And, um, you know, those are some of the guys that really just off the top of your head stand out. And then some of the other guys that were at the ATS last year will not be returning for really for reasons that are out of their control. Um, we're limited to 28 spots, 16 pitchers, 12 position players. You know, and most of those those spots have got to be guys that can go to the big leagues. And if a if a pitcher, for primarily the pitching, if they're an A ball, double A pitcher, it's going to be hard for them to make that 16, just because we have to have guys that are ready to pitch in the big leagues. So, by you know, through no fault of their own, they'll probably return to minor league camp, and then you know, after that, we'll see where they're at. And from that standpoint, how excited are you to actually have minor league camp? Because we're talking about guys at the alternate site, but you've got probably, what, 100 players or more that haven't that you guys haven't seen in person in a long time. Yeah, it's you know what? It's going to probably be around 130 players, and then you have another 60, 70 staff members. I think we can get to 210 total, but we're extremely excited. And these guys, are they're so – I think we did a good job in this organization with our Zoom calls, and I think we got a lot out of them. But at the end of the day, these coaches are really good at coaching. And, you know, Zoom calls are probably not most of our niches. So they're extremely excited to get on the field to coach. I know the players, you know, texting, calling, you know, what can we do? And they're, we're probably going to have to slow them down a little bit. Well, Michael, enjoy it. It's great to chat baseball with you. And uh, hopefully we'll see some of those guys at the ATS helping out real soon. Okay. Thanks, Neil. Really good stuff from the field coordinator of the Rays, Michael Johns, and we certainly appreciate Michael for joining us, as well as all of our guests on the program today, including the team MVP from a year ago, infielder-outfielder Brandon Lau, Valley Sports Suns' Brian Anderson, as well as the executive vice president and GM of the Rays, Eric Neander. Of course, if you ever have something you want to hear on this program, all you have to do is tweet me. At Neil Solons. Next week, among those we'll sit down with is Rays pitcher Chris Archer, who makes his return to the mound for the Rays today. That and much, much more coming up next week. We'll be back on Sunday next week. Thanks to my producer, Derek DeBose. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. 
Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, into right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front, four to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.